0: Welcome to the WonderLearn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon, and I am almost in tears right now. Why? Because I recorded nearly three hours of conversation with Sim Blanchard just about a month ago, and I accidentally deleted them. I am right now using all the powers I can to recover these deleted files. I know exactly which SD card used to have them. I can't seem to pull them off of my hard disk either. Trying to recover them on both mediums and I'm being unsuccessful. It's three hours of great, great, great conversation. It's it would They would have made two awesome podcasts and I'm really sad about it. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read an article that has 125,000 views on my website. It's one of my most popular articles. It's called, How Can You Afford to Travel the World? This one is indicative of the classic email I get, which is, Greetings, Mr. Tapon. We share the same dream of traveling the world. This is exactly what I want to do. My question is, how do you afford it? Truly, you must be wealthy to be able to do this. Any advice on how I may follow suit? 22-year-old named Jonathan who sent that question. So I've gotten this question so many times that I finally decided I'm going to write a long article to address it. I will read it to you now because, well, it's still a popular topic. So here we go. Dear Jonathan, Although you need money to travel the world, you need much less than most people think, especially if you learn how to travel frugally. Many tourists I see when I travel the world are in their 20s, hardly rich people. If they can afford to travel far and wide, so can you. It's easy to conclude That there is only one factor in being able to travel which is how much money you make or how much money you have in fact there are two factors in the travel equation and the equation is how much you can travel equals your savings minus your travel cost so that is the equation so now let's break down those two factors of your savings minus your travel cost okay Number one, your savings. Savings is made up of two components as well. Savings equals your income minus your expenses. Unless you live in a low-income country, it's easy to make a lot of money. In America, for instance, you can be a waiter and make over $40,000 a year. But that's nothing, some cried. Well, hold on. That depends on what you do on the other side of the equation, which is expenses. We often think that we must live in a posh home, eat out often, and wear fashionable clothes. Having walked across America four times, sleeping under a tarp the whole time, I can promise you that you need very little to be happy. We're all different, but if we learn to reduce our requirements and develop our budgeting skills, then we'll end up with a fortune in the bank. For example... Let's say you make $40,000 a year. What if you live with two or three roommates or family members in a somewhat sketchy part of town, you eat at home, bring your own lunch to work, buy used clothing, and you don't buy it often, and you avoid most discretionary expenses? What if you did all that? Well, then you would be able to save a couple thousand bucks, even if you live in an expensive city like San Francisco, New York, or Oslo, which is the capital of Norway. Now, imagine you make $60,000 a year. Imagine still living like you're only making $40,000 a year. Instead of saving $2,000 a year, you'll save $22,000 a year. Okay, a little bit less because you're going to have to pay higher taxes, but you get the idea. Now, Unfortunately, most people move up their expenses as soon as their income moves up, and often beforehand, too. That's why some of my Harvard Business School classmates are struggling to make ends meet even with their million-dollar incomes. I've always lived simply, no matter what my income was. I'm 50 years old now, and I've never owned a couch, a TV, or a chair. A couple of years ago, Amazon sent me a bed and a mattress for free in order to evaluate and write a review. So I guess you can say I finally got my first bed that I actually owned. I didn't pay for it when I was 48 years old. <laughs> That's how long it took me to finally own my own bed. <laughs> and you're probably wondering, how is that possible, Francis? Well, all the places that I rented were already furnished. One place wasn't furnished. I remember it's in San Francisco on top of Potrero Hill. I would sleep on a used futon on the floor and I used plastic plates and utensils that I washed and reused. So I never had to buy any real metal utensils and plates. Yes, the entire apartment where I lived there was very zen. Just a futon on the floor. It reminds me of Steve Jobs, by the way. He kind of did the same thing. He was so picky about the furniture that he wanted to have. That for months or maybe even a year or two, I don't know how long it was. He just had like a lamp and I think some sort of mattress or something on the floor. And that was it. Even though he was Steve Jobs and he was young, but he was making lots of money. Anyway, this is a complete digression. All right. I also lived in three crappy neighborhoods in San Francisco. And I'm not encouraging you to live like a monk in a crime infested neighborhood. I'm simply pointing out that it's yet another major way to save money. We tend to overestimate how much we need to be happy, and we underestimate how much we can save even when we're making a modest income. By the way, right now I am house-sitting up in the Trinity Alps of Northern California, west of Reading. It's a beautiful location, and again, I'm not having to pay for this house-sit. It's, I am on 28 acres. I've got a, three dogs and a cat that I, that keep me company. And I've got mountains all around me. It's wonderful. I feel like I'm living an extraordinary existence and I don't have to pay for this wonderful abode. More importantly, I was never sad, bitter, or frustrated when I lived in a humble abode. I loved my life and was thrilled to be living in San Francisco, one of the world's greatest cities. In the Seattle suburbs, I lived without a car while I worked at Microsoft. I rode my bike in the rain, even with 20 kilograms of groceries, and took the not-so-convenient bus when I needed, let's say, to go to Seattle. Meanwhile, co-workers who were making half my salary were driving $50,000 cars that quickly depreciate. These are the same people who ask me how I can afford to travel nonstop. And I think none of my inner city neighbors ever suspected that I was making a six-figure income. I spent about five years living well below my means, saving over 80% of my income, investing it wisely in stocks, and created enough savings to let me pursue my passions, which are traveling, public speaking, personal coaching, and writing. So that's how to save. But to figure out how much you can travel, you need to look at your travel Costs, But before we go to travel costs, let's take a quick commercial break to talk about my sponsor. This episode is sponsored by the Athletic Brewing Company, which makes yummy non-alcoholic beer. Now, before you disparage non-alcoholic beer, consider this. During the 2020 International Beer Challenge, the Athletic Brewing Company won Brewer of the Year for North America, and they only make non-alcoholic beer. Enjoy the refreshing taste of craft beer without the alcohol or the hangover, or the beer belly. Last year, Athletic Brewing donated over $300,000 to trail restoration projects. With Athletic Brewing, you can even drink and drive. When the cop pulls you over for driving too slowly, you can say, Dude, I was just chilling drinking beer. Non-alcoholic beer, that is. Although you can't order beer by mail, you can order non-alcoholic beer by mail. So go to athleticbrewing.com use the promo code wanderlearn20 to get 20% off your first order buy at least 2 six packs so you can get free shipping that's wanderlearn20 with no spaces to get 20% off your travel costs you can guess where i'm going to go on this one too so let's examine what makes up travel costs travel costs equal lodging plus food plus transportation, plus discretionary spending. So let's look at each of these four components. Lodging. Stay in the cheapest place you can tolerate. Although staying at the Ritz is fabulous, most of us travel to see stuff outside the hotel. Fancy hotels encourage you to stay in the hotel. Dodgy hotels encourage you to get out. I stayed in a dump in roatan honduras the shared bathroom smelled like urine and shower water from the room above leaked onto my bed so thanks to that crappy room i got to know roatan really well here are the progressive steps to simple cheap lodging nice hotel is the best option or the most expensive option. Then we drop down to budget hotel. Then you drop down to hostel and then you drop down to couch surfing. Cause remember couch surfing is not free. You got to give a little bit something to your host campground, which actually might be the same as a couch surfing. And then finally stealth camping, which is literally free unless you get caught by the police and they find you. And then it's going to be a little expensive. Everyone has their own tolerance level. I'm just encouraging you to push your limits experiment for example after backpacking the appalachian trail i didn't mind stealth camping in city parks in eastern europe i've even stealth camped in rome i didn't do it everywhere but wherever i did it my lodging costs were zero if not hostels often cost under 20 dollars per person which is only about 600 dollars a month which is cheaper than the rents of many expensive cities number two which is food Well, it's the same concept as lodging. Of course, trying the local cuisine is part of traveling. But that doesn't mean you have to go to a four-star restaurant. In fact, most four-star restaurants don't even serve traditional local dishes, but instead they serve fancy stuff that a local wouldn't recognize. Street vendors sell local dishes, and they're not as sketchy as you might think. It's also fun to stop at a grocery store and see the products that you can buy that you don't have back at home. I usually buy bread, cheese, tomatoes, avocado, yogurt, granola, carrots, broccoli, and lots of fruit. As a result, my food costs are minimal, and my nutrition is high. Transportation, the third component. Learn to travel simply and bring a book or an audiobook for when you are not enjoying the countryside or you're waiting at a depot. Step down the luxury loud ladder. At the top of the luxury ladder is a plane. Then it drops down to a car, either whether it be a rental or a taxi. Then it drops down further, down to a train, then a bus. And then finally, at the lowest level, is hitchhiking. I suppose some people would throw in being a hobo on a train and jumping on that, but that is illegal to do that, so I'm not going to encourage that. But hitchhiking is sometimes illegal, but usually not. Okay. You don't just save money as you opt for the more simple transportation method, but you also get to know the locals, which presumably is one of the reasons you like to travel. You experience how real people are, the way they live, and you're often forced to learn some words in the local language. Aren't these the reason you love to travel? Discretionary, which is the final and the fourth part of the spending equation. Museums, performances, Souvenirs and clothes are all examples of discretionary spending. As usual, we all have our own priorities and thresholds. Just try to minimize your discretionary spending if your goal is to travel as far and as long as possible. And by the way, as a little aside to this thing, I sometimes see people going a little bit overboard on this advice and that they might go to Paris and not go to the Louvre or they are in Moscow and not go to the Bolshoi Theater. Back, back when I went to the Bolshoi Theater, it was only $10, and you know, that was because the ruble was very weak. Well, even if you go to New York and not see a Broadway musical, which, by the way, you can go to these, these tickets, half-price tickets that are sold on in Times Square and, and somewhere else in New York, you get deals and experience the Broadway show of New York. So sometimes people go a little bit too gung-ho and overboard like, I'm going to go to Italy and I'm not going to step into a single museum or I'm not going to have a restaurant meal anywhere in Italy. (laughs) So at some point you you could go a little bit too far on this little uh, advice. So I would say if you are the type of person who tends to go overboard on discretionary spending, this is something you might want to consider to scale that back a bit because that could allow you to travel for a longer period of time. In short, by keeping your travel expenses down, you can make $10,000 of savings take you on nearly one year of non-stop travel. And as we mentioned in the savings section, it's not hard to save $10,000 even when you make a moderate salary. If you save $50,000 a year, that's several years of ultra-budget travel. By the way, as an aside, I travel Throughout Africa, including buying a car. I, in fact, I bought two cars for about a hundred and ten thousand dollars for five years. You know that's very little money. It's less than twenty-five thousand dollars a year, which is certainly what most people spend. A lot more than that in high-income countries, and I was traveling all over the place. And so you can really, really stretch your money. Okay, traveling the world with a family. Some who have a family tell me, well. That's all great for someone like you, Francis, who doesn't have children, but you can't do this if you have kids. Although I admit that I'm no expert in raising children, most of my friends have kids, and I have also babysat a few times. So I'm not completely clueless. I admit that families have extra expenses that chew into any potential savings. Obviously, if you have young children, you probably shouldn't live in the ghetto if you can avoid it nor is it practical for a family of four to stealth camp in a park in Bucharest. However, it's also true that most American families have enormous houses when most of the world packs a family of four in less than one or two rooms. Furthermore, quote-unquote bad neighborhoods aren't usually that bad. Most families spend way more than necessary. Even families with minimal incomes can sock away Thousands of dollars a year. Moreover, you can't say that kids don't give you enough freedom to travel since most kids have four months off per year. Many families also experience some degree of economies of scale that single people can only achieve if they live with roommates. Finally, most have families in their 30s to 40s and 50s. That's when most people are having their families in that age range which is typically when people earn their highest salaries. A 25-year-old can only dream of making what somebody who is 45 years old makes. My point is that families can apply the basic ideas I've outlined here to pursue their travel dreams. They may not travel as far or as long as a childless person, but they can certainly downsize, live simply, and travel frugally. Yes, even if you have a family, you can explore the world. At this point, I'm taking an aside and mention that you should listen to my podcast where a family of seven was traveling all around the world. Just search for it in my Wander Learn podcast and you'll see Global Teen Adventures. Search for that or Family of Seven. You'll find it. I also encourage you to read chapter two of Hike Your Own Hike. I've spent one-seventh of my book, Hike Your Own Hike, Seven Life Lessons from Backpacking Across America, detailing ways to manage your fiscal life. I encourage you to buy the book to learn to get the most out of your finances and get the most out of life itself. And now we come to the conclusion. Traveling the world isn't as costly as you think. You can buy a round-trip ticket to most places on this planet for less than $1,000. Once you're there, you can take public transportation, stay at Cheap accommodations, eat simply, and still enjoy many of the attractions while spending under $60 a day, even in the most expensive cities in the world. Frugal travelers can travel on less than half of that. Budget wanderers often discover that their costs of living on the road are often lower than at home. And if you sublet your apartment or rent out your house, you can cover your home costs so that you can travel for months. Furthermore, being frugal doesn't mean you shouldn't be generous. For example, I pinch pennies when I travel, but I donate half of my book's royalty to America's National Scenic Trails. I may hitchhike, but I always offer money to whoever picks me up. 90% of them refuse, but they thank me for the offer. I may couch surf, but I give my hosts gifts and I help them clean the kitchen. If you're tight on cash, look for non-monetary ways to give back. Babysit your friend's kids for free, Help clean up a beach. Assist someone who's moving out. Host a stranger in your house, especially if he's a smelly thru-hiker. Finally, be aware of upgrading your life too quickly. I discuss this in my book. Once you raise your standard of living, it's hard to go back. In conclusion, Live below your means, travel below your means, hike your own hike, and wander and learn. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTapon. That's my first initial and my last name. FTapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTapon. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com/fTapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as two dollars a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.